More than 10 political parties will be holding their party primaries. Already, controversy over joint nominations is threatening to split some of the coalitions. This, however, is just the tip of the iceberg. At his prime, Louis Otieno was a master of the silver screens. His voice, posture, interviewing skills, and generally how he carried himself was very Louis Otieno-ish. you meant well. No, I mean... Uh, you think there's some good reasons? Um, That's to say, he did things in his own way and in his own time. Think about it, Neto. I'm, I'm not convinced. Because I always admired Louis. He was the best interviewer, very calm, very collected, very aloof. He came across as aloof. Because I always admired the guy. You know, when you're meeting with a guy, you admire. You know, the way he dressed, calm. I knew his mother. The way he dressed... There's a way he commanded attention and attracted it. This is something you will hear a lot. On one hand, that was very good. But then it became a big problem, as you'll hear. From his colleagues and those who he worked close to, Louis, as a celebrity, was a phenomenon. At that defining time, Louis would go to any station and there would be space for him. His career journey started at Kenya Broadcasting Corporation, KBC, and it sort of ended at newly formed K24, before briefly attempting a comeback at KTN. That didn't last. Louis' career decline was evident at this point. But before all that, he started talk shows everywhere he went, each time bigger than the last one. He started town halls and was synonymous with Kenya's current affairs. At the top of his career, Louis Oteno was the explainer-in-chief. He had earned the right to brand a show after his own name. This is Louis. He loved his job. He always put all his effort in what he was doing. That he did. And he became larger than life. He became Kenya's Larry King. This, however, is just the tip of the iceberg. Nightly interviews that came to define Kenyan media, his work on television was defining. He worked on all top Kenyan media houses. His name is the quintessential household name. But all that came tumbling down. It didn't happen at one go. It was gradual. For a man who lived his life in front of the television, his personal life is embroiled in so much mystery. He attracted some strange hate or indifference from former colleagues. The public thinks he's a proud and arrogant man, claims that he was a womanizer, drunkard, and a family deserter. In the course of his own work and life, Louis found himself in the center of so much. And also, he seemed to, lately, attract bad luck, or bad things just happened to him. At some point in his life, Louis would pick up his call and ring the most powerful men in the country. The next, Louis is unable to afford a meal. I was genuinely perplexed about this, and Louis' story. So when he started talking to me, we found ourselves talking on phone for hours. 
he reminisces about his good times, where he went wrong, media business in Kenya, and his struggles. This is a story of a man who had everything and has since lost it all. We recorded dozens of hours of calls and our conversations would almost always start like this. Hey bro, how are you doing? Hey bro, how are you? Okay. Are you well? I'm trying to be. <laughs> so, let's get this out of the way first. Louis lost his hearing in 2015. He has struggled for decades with a back pain, and he essentially lives on painkillers. His speech is slurred. You know, I have a bionic ear. Uh, I'll just ask you to keep your voice up. We will revisit this illness question in a later episode. But first, Louis wasn't always sounding like this. He was eloquent, flashy, and one of the best-dressed guys on TV. Though, most thought of him as arrogant. He says he prefers to think of it as confident. Whatever the case, it was good to be Louis Otieno. <laughs> That's where our, our Telemundo production begins. It's, a, it's, it's like a novella sometimes. Sometimes it's like a dream. And sometimes it's like a stage in your life. But it happened. It did, in fact, happen because Louis found himself at the center of current affairs and in a particular interesting times for the country. The Anglo leasing scam first came to light in 2000 for just two years into the then relatively popular NARC administration. In May 2004, Kanu MP Maoka Maore exposed what he said was a 3.5 billion scandal a deal of printing passports between Ministry of Home Affairs and a British lease finance company had not only violated procurement laws, but was also hugely overpriced. On top of that, the firm awarded the tender was not known for printing anything. It was a briefcase company. I only knew of the passport control that time, the, 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 the passport uh, printing. Only to come and discover that it, the thing was worth $230 million. What we were exposing was only that $1 million. Well, after that brave expose by the MP, and just before Kenyans had processed that saga, it was soon revealed that the same characters have another $4 billion tender contract to build forensic labs for the CID. To top it all up, they had been fully paid while nothing was on ground. This revelation became a hot potato for a new government that was swept into power to fight corruption. <laughs> Top government ministers were all out throwing every possible defense at the public. The news was tightening. 
and releasing, as it is known, the two projects that in, entail and releasing. Wakanu projects. President Kibaki's favorite ministers, including Finance Minister David Miraria, Internal Security Minister Chris Morongaru, and Vice President Mudiaori were all implicated. I honestly and sincerely see no reason to step down. I am not resigning. The media had sensed blood, and acres and acres of coverage was dedicated to this mega scandal. And when investigation started, some anonymous people wired back to the Kenyan government one billion shillings, adding more fuel to the fire. A revelation that started as a 3.5 billion passport contract had expanded to a 50 billion full-blown scandal. The government was unraveling. The most organized activity that this government has been engaged in is the theft from Kenyan people. Yeah, it's a very organized, systematic, determined activity. Journalists were trying to find fresh new angles. In all these chaos, Louis Oteno lands that interview with a man at the center of it all, Finance Minister David Miraria. Uh, we go to the point when I asked him on air during the show when I asked him, uh, uh, Honorable Minister, there has been talk that some money has been sent back and has actually been received by the Central Bank of Kenya. Could you substantiate? And he actually pulled out a piece of paper from his pocket. Now, this is live TV. Now, live TV, when you go quiet for three seconds, it's like 15 seconds. But he went quiet, and I went quiet. And he folded this piece of paper on air. He folded it. I wish you would get that tape, you'd see it. He folded it in half. He cut it. He gave me on air. He said, I can give you this. This will show you your answer. There you go. This I can give you. This is, this is confidential. You will respect that, I'm sure. But I have answered your question. What was on the piece of paper? The evidence of the money that had come back. Now, I'm not saying that I I untraveled Angdolisi. I'm not saying I I'm the one who brought out the truth of it. I'm not saying I'm the one who wound up the story for what it was. I'm just saying I'm the only one who got the person where the buck stops to come and talk to the country on the matter at the time when it was hottest. The Anglo-Lism scandal, which was the hottest current affair issue of the day, had to be settled on Louis Oteno's show. He, single-handedly, brought up the culture of interviews on Kenyan television, and important people were paying attention to him. Can you believe the diplomatic corps actually invited themselves? They watched the product. They called. 
themselves. They found me. They invited me to their, their missions. I went there and they said, we want to come on your show individually, wherever they were placed. Yeah. And that's how the Americans ended up there, the British, they, were, they invited themselves. And they had never been seen on Kenyan TV. Neither had the police commissioner. Neither had the likes of the internal security minister. I mean, nobody, nobody ever interviewed the late Mishuki, except for me. Louis didn't exactly want to be on TV. He didn't even think about it, he says. But as a son of a former broadcaster, Elizabeth Omolo, it sort of was going to happen. The kid was with the mom in studio and practically grew up at the Kenya Broadcasting Corporation studios. This is not even, this is even beyond the influence of the mother. My mom was not a news manager. She was not a, she was not a senior manager at KBC, no. So it was not my mom saying, no, my son will be what he wants to be, no. Hey, Louis, Louis started when he was still very young. When um, I was in the studios uh, late evenings and he would be the only person waiting to open the door for me. And he's already with his uh, pen and paper. The mistakes I made on air. <laughs> I love and thank my mother for her help at that stage because she would not let me put one word wrong. Hmm. She would be waiting for me at home with that word written on a piece of paper. And I get home and she would say, read this word. So, a relationship between a broadcasting mom and her child becomes this training ground for both. It is here where they created this bond that will propel Louis into stardom. This is Elizabeth Omolo, Louis Otieno's mother. Once we are seated, Mom, why did you say this and that? I have to answer why. Mom, why did the news why did you start the news late? I have to say why. Mom, why did you stop for, for some seconds before you talked? What was happening to you in the studio? have to answer that. Why, Mom, why did somebody cough? Was it you who coughed in the studio? <laughs> he became inquisitive, very young, and he would correct me, and I would say, okay, there I went wrong, but this one, this is the right way. So he started getting inquisitive and drawing interest even without me knowing. So he started listening to others. And it helped. Louis' career took off. When I walked into this guy's office, and he told me, we're offering you a new start. It will change your life. But... You cannot do anything else now. You can only work for us. 
Mel's young. My thoughts, okay. I graduated. Let's put what we learned into play. So let's go to work. I had a very cooperative gentleman and uh, I know he wouldn't mind me mentioning his name. Uh, he's been worked in government. He's been a cabinet secretary and within this administration. His name is uh, Willie Bett. That's just a start. A career in news anchoring was on the horizon. It was the era of media liberalization and Nation Media Group was making its first stab at it. NTV was born and Louis and the first of what would be, ideally, the first Kenyan celebrities walked in into the Nation Center. And I walked in and internally I had the support of only one person. And that was Sophie Kanye. Ah, Louis Otiena. <laughs> Louis Louis loved his job. To be frank. I mean he loved his he loved the news. He loved to be in the limelight. And he still does like to be in the limelight, frankly speaking. And we worked well together. We would bounce ideas off each other. So it was quite intriguing to, 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 to work with him yeah. at that time. Yeah. And also, you know, interview all these people. He loved his work as a news anchor. So, Sophie Kenya and Louis Otieno struck the first pairing of news anchors at this news station. They were young, vibrant, and eloquent. A TV revolution of sorts had started. Before, news anchoring was a preserve of old folks. News was a revered business. I managed to read the news, but obviously managed to massacre a bit of it in a way because I was nervous. Routine bullying really was the order of the day. I haven't had stories from anyone who worked in the newsroom in that time who thought the environment they were working in was one of mutual respect and professionalism. I went back to the newsroom to find um, the main anchor, mm -hmm. the late Matilda. I remember Matilda whilst I was there, mm -hmm. and she whispered quite loudly, James, it's water hyacinth. With this kind of working environment, the young ones who were just joining the media business needed to do something different. And different they did. They started talk shows. They started reading news a little faster, dressed smarter and sharper. This was an industry-wide change. The TV revolution was being televised. For Louis, well, he was at the center of it all. And he did his bit to move things forward. Things like these. Tell me about your hair. It was texturized. And that is what they did not understand. Even my mom mastery. Hey. Nobody has talked about your hair? I said, no. Are you sure? I said, no. And this time KBC had had 
three MDs now. We're on the third MD. In the public's eye, this was the golden age of television. In the back end, it wasn't as rosy as it seems. And for someone with a headstrong personality, things had just but begun. They were also just about to start blowing up. The making of chaos in paradise. He was mistaken by many, and that depressed me. He was mistaken by many. It's not that he hated anybody. He just wanted people to read from the same script and enjoy the job equally. Not only one person enjoying and the other person is grinning at the corner. Okay? Here we are. A young guy full of ambition and confidence walks into an industry that is dominated by class and seniority. The industry survived mostly on this dynamic. Those in front of television or those behind the screens, the managers respect. If anything, these are the people who go to the job and they can fire you. You can be fired by up to five people on the phone yes. on one night. Yes. The MD, the news editor can fire you. Mm. The MD can fire you. The head of the presidential press service can fire you. The mm -hmm. permanent secretary can fire you. And the minister for communication can fire you. Period. No discussion. So, as the industry starts growing, with the new crop of young people walking in, the authority of the managers get somewhat challenged. And Lou Yotieno, whether he knew it then and doing it consciously or not, he was the leader of this rebellion. With his headstrong personality, some say arrogant stance, the seed of discord was sowed. Everyone hated Louis from the start. Oh, why do you need Louis? We can't do without him. Oh, Louis cannot. And I said, but why would you be threatened? Because I believe it's people being threatened by Louis. Next time on Paradise Lost. I thank Kenyans, my audience, the public, the Kenyan who watched me on television. Because many times I remained on air because of pressure from Kenyans. Explain that a little. What, 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 what does it mean? My own bosses tried to get me off air so many times. Paradise Lost is written and produced by me, James Smart. Our sound engineer is Muna Chuba. Edit producer, Sharon Ongayo. This podcast is recorded at Supersonic Africa. Our voiceover artist is Yafesi Musoke. Theme song for this podcast is produced by Trevor Magak. Guitar by Benjamin Masinde. Piano by Samuel Hendrick. Copyright. Alfulela. Special thanks to Louis Otieno. <laughs>